Hi everybody, welcome to episode 3 of Spare Change Education. The video version of this episode can be found on YouTube. Today, we are taking a look at how taxes work in Canada. I think every Canadian should at least understand how taxation works, even if you hire an accountant to file yours. And unfortunately, schools don't necessarily teach you the fundamentals of taxation. And I know for a fact that filing your taxes or trying to learn about how to be more tax efficient is a daunting process. So with that in mind, I made this episode a place where you could find all the things you should know to help you get started. I'll explain how our progressive taxation system works. I'll explain what tax credits and deductions are and how you could use them to your advantage. And if you are a student, I'll also give you a few tips on how to get a refund from the government at the end of the year. I'll also take you through the step-by-step -step process to help you file your taxes and I'll end the episode by explaining how TFSAs and RSPs work and how you could be more efficient with them. First, there are federal and provincial taxes in Canada. The numbers I give in this episode refer to those of federal taxes, but the principles I'll explain are applicable to both federal and provincial taxes. The way taxes work in Canada is that your tax rate grows as your income increases. That system is called progressive taxation. Let me illustrate how it works. Think about your income as a ladder. As you climb up the stairs, so as your income grows, your tax rate increases. And each interval of income has a different tax rate, also called a marginal tax rate. The marginal tax rate is the rate at which you are taxed at on every dollar earned in a particular income bracket. If your income increases and you get bumped up to a higher bracket, you pay a higher rate but only for the portion of your income that exceeds the last bracket. The federal tax brackets work like this. If your income is less than $47,630, your marginal tax rate is 15%. If your income falls between $47,630 and $95,259, your marginal tax rate is now 20.5%. If your income is between $95,259 and $147,667, your tax rate is 26%, and so on. The highest federal tax bracket includes income higher than $210,371, and the marginal tax rate is 33% for that bracket. Now let's use an example to illustrate how progressive taxation works. Let's say you make $50,000 a year. The first bracket is only from 0 to $47,630, so your income fills that bracket up. For the first $47,630 of your income, you'll be taxed at 15%. So that comes down to $7,144.50 of taxes for the first bracket. But your $50,000 income exceeds the first bracket and pours into the second bracket, which is from $47,630 to $95,259, for which the marginal tax rate is 20.5%. Now, remember, the higher rate is only applied to the portion of your income which exceeds the last bracket. So take your income of $50,000, Subtract the $47,630, which is the threshold of the second bracket, and you get $2,370. 
that's the amount of your income which exceeds from the first bracket. And the 20.5% marginal tax rate of the second bracket is applicable to this portion of your income only. So 20.5% of $2,370 is $485.85. The total amount of taxes which you'll pay on your $50,000 income is the $7,144.50 from the first bracket plus the $485.85 from the second bracket, which comes down to $7,630.35. You can also calculate the average tax rate simply by dividing the total amount of taxes you pay by your total income. But you always use the marginal tax rate to calculate how much you should be paying. You can find the chart with the income brackets and marginal tax rates on the government's website, and it even offers a step-by-step calculation to help you figure out your taxes. And of course, you repeat the same process for both federal and provincial taxes, but be aware, of course, that the provincial tax rates differ from the federal tax rates. Now let's talk about the process of paying your income taxes. The Canadian Revenue Agency estimates the amount of taxes which you owe based on criteria like your income or whether you're working full-time or part-time. And they instruct your employer to withhold an amount from every one of your paychecks. So if you've gotten a paycheck, you'll probably notice a row which says tax deduction at source. So that's what it is. Basically, instead of collecting taxes all at once, the government deducts an amount from every paycheck. And At the end of the year, when you file your taxes, you're essentially double-checking with what the government has deducted, but at the same time, you're taking into account any tax deductions or tax credits that you're eligible for, and I'll explain those in a second. But if it happens that you've paid too much, then you'll get a tax refund, and if you haven't paid enough, then you'll need to pay the additional amount which you owe. Alright, let's talk about tax credits and deductions. A tax credit reduces the amount of tax you need to pay. So let's say you owe $2,000 of taxes and you get a credit of $500. That means you now only owe $1,500 of taxes. A tax deduction reduces your taxable income. And it's usually more beneficial if you have a higher income. For example, your income is $50,000 and you get a tax deduction of $500. That amount is deducted from your total income, so now your taxable income is only $49,500. And since the marginal tax rate for incomes from $47,000 to $95,000 is 20.5%, then you'll be saving, based on this deduction, 20.5% of $500, which is $102.50. Now let me go back to tax credits very quickly because there are two types of them refundable tax credits, and non-refundable tax credits. For a refundable credit, if that credit covers all of your taxes owed and more, the additional portion will be refunded to you. So let's say you owe $500 in taxes and you receive a $1,000 refundable credit. Then the government will actually pay you the additional $500 at the end of the year. A non-refundable credit can cover all of your taxes owed, but you don't get refunded if the credit exceeds the amount of taxes owed. Same example, you owe $500 in taxes and you get a $1,000 non-refundable credit this time. 
then that means you won't need to pay any taxes, but the additional $500 won't be refunded. Here's a quick example. If, like me, you're in Quebec and you're a student where you have a low to medium income, you are, for example, eligible for the Solidarity Tax Credit, which is refundable. And one of the Solidarity Tax Credit components is that it offsets the Quebec sales tax. So when you buy things, you need to pay the Quebec sales tax, the QST. But at the end of the year, the government will actually reimburse part of the QST to you. And that's the first reason why you should file your taxes, even if you have low or no income. You'll likely be eligible for refundable credits like that, and you'll have more money in your pockets than you began with. And the second reason is, if you have a low income, most likely you won't need to pay taxes to begin with. But all that time, your employer has been deducting money from every single one of your paychecks. Now, you'll remember I said, at the end of the year, by filing your taxes, you're double-checking with the government's deductions, and they will reimburse you if they've deducted too much. So by filing your taxes, you'll be able to get back all of your paycheck deductions. And I highly recommend that you go through the different credits and deductions on both your provincial and federal tax forms and look for those that are applicable to you. I would personally recommend that you file your taxes at least once manually anytime within the next few years. I think it really sensitizes you to exactly how taxes, deductions, and credits are calculated. But I'll take you through the step-by-step -step process right now. So first, whether you're filing using a software or by hand, you should gather your tax slips and your income information. So that includes the T4 statement of remuneration paid, which your employer should provide you, your T5 statement of investment income, which your financial institution or broker can provide you. And finally, your T3 statement of trust income allocation if you're investing in a mutual fund, for example. And if you're filing online, you could find a certified tax software and you could find a few suggestions on the CRA website. If you're filing on paper, you can order a tax package from the government and the federal tax form is called the T1 general return. Now I'll take you through the general process. The first step is to fill in your personal information, including your name and your social insurance number. The next page is going to ask you to fill out your total revenues, including your employment income, your dividends earned, your capital gains, interests, and other earnings. And all of that information you can find on your T3, T4, and T5. And all of that adds up to your total income. On the next page, you will indicate any deductions that you have. So that includes your RSP contributions. And I'll talk about those later in this episode. That also includes deductions from pensions, capital loss deductions, if you've lost money investing. And you'll see there's about a page and a half of different deductions available. Then you'll subtract all of your deductions from your total income and you'll get your taxable income. The next step is to indicate all of your non-refundable credits. And I want to direct your attention to the basic personal amount, which is a credit that's available to all Canadians. If your income is below the personal amount, you won't need to pay any taxes. But even if your income is over the basic personal amount, you'll still get a tax deduction. In 2020, that amount is $12,298 and the corresponding deduction is 15% of that amount. What that means if you're a student is that if you make less than $12,298 a year, you're not paying taxes and you'll be eligible for a reimbursement for your pay deductions and other refundable credits. After your basic personal amount, fill out your other non-refundable credits. 
The other non-refundable credit which you might be eligible for is the Canadian employment amount. But moving on from non-refundable credits, the next step is to calculate your income tax following the brackets, like I've explained at the beginning of this episode. But on your tax form, it tells you exactly how to calculate it, so don't worry, it's not as complicated as it looks. The next step is to subtract your non-refundable tax credits and dividend tax credits from your income tax. The last step is to subtract from your taxes any refundable credits which you might be eligible for and the paycheck deductions at source, which you'll remember are the taxes deducted from your paychecks. Okay, now you are done. If the amount which remains at the end is negative, then that's what the government will refund to you. And if the amount which remains is positive, then you would owe that amount to the government. And if you are a student, then good news, most likely by following this process, you'll get a refund from the government at the end of the year. Before I explain TFSAs and RSPs, let me point out that capital gains, so the appreciation of your stock's value, are taxed at only around half as much as ordinary income. And in terms of the dividends which you receive from your investments, you actually receive a dividend tax credit on the grossed up dividends. So dividends are grossed up before being taxed, but you receive a tax credit which cuts your amount of taxes down. It's a detail you don't need to worry about, but basically dividends are at the end of the day also taxed less than regular income. And what I'm trying to get at here is don't rely solely on your regular income because the labor and the time you provide at your job is taxed the most. And investing your money and profiting off capital gains and dividends are much more tax efficient alternatives. Also, opening a business can be very tax efficient, but I won't get into corporate taxation in this episode. Okay, so now let's talk about registered accounts. A TFSA stands for a tax-free savings account. And even though it's called a savings account, you could use the money you put in your TFSA to buy almost anything, including stocks, uh, mutual funds, ETFs, bonds, GICs. But really, what's special about the TFSA is that it's a registered account, which means that it shelters your savings and investments in it from income taxes namely taxes on your capital gains and dividends. And because the money that you put in your TFSA is after-tax money, none of your investments or savings in it will be taxed when you take them out. You can contribute money into your TFSA and what you can contribute depends on your age. Starting from when you turn 18, you could start contributing. Currently in 2020 and probably in 2021, the contribution limit is going to increase by $6,000 although the contribution limit does change from time to time. If you don't put money into your TFSA right away, don't worry about it. The contribution space is carried forward every year. For example, if you turn 19 this year, your contribution limit is the $6,000 from 2020 and the $6,000 from 2019, adding up to $12,000. And if you withdraw an amount from your TFSA, you will be able to contribute back the same amount next year so you don't lose that space. Of course, you would want to be as tax efficient as you can be in your TFSA to take full advantage of the tax shelter. So instead of putting your money in a savings account that yields maybe 1% annually, perhaps consider investing in dividend stocks, either through an ETF or a mutual fund. 
That way, you'll be maximizing the amount of taxes saved from capital gains and dividends, taxes that you would otherwise be paying in a non-registered account. But here's a warning not to speculate with your TFSA money or even try to pick your own stocks if you're an individual. And here's why. In a TFSA, if you have a capital loss and you cash out, you lose that contribution space forever. If you invest $5,000 and you realize a capital loss of $1,000 and you withdraw the remaining $4,000, you lose the $1,000 contribution space permanently. The second reason is that in a TFSA, if you realize a capital loss, because you're not paying taxes in the first place, the government will not give you a capital loss tax deduction on your future capital gains. In a normal non-registered account, if you lose money on your investment, you could receive a tax deduction on your future capital gain, but not in a TFSA. And a last warning is that if you invest in an American security, you will need to pay a 15% withholding tax on dividends. So if you do want to buy American dividend stocks, it would be better to do so in your RSP, where there is no US withholding tax. An RRSP stands for a Registered Retirement Savings Plan, which is a registered investment account and a tax-sheltered account, meaning that any capital gains and dividends from stocks or interest earned in this account are not taxed. However, and I'll explain this in detail in a second, once you take the money out of the RSP, that amount will be treated as a taxable income. But first, why is it important? RSP contributions are tax deductions, meaning that if you put an amount into the account, that amount is deducted from your taxable income. For example, if your income is $50,000 and you contribute $1,000 into your RSP this year, then your taxable income becomes $49,000 since the $1,000 counts as a deduction. And since the tax bracket from $47,000 to $95,000 is 20.5%, then you will save 20.5% of $1,000, which is $205 of taxes. However, the RSP is a tax deferral plan. It means that when you pull your money out of the RSP, that amount will count as taxable income. In other words, once you pull the money out, you'll start paying taxes. And the idea is that when you're working your full-time job, you're going to be in a higher tax bracket. The advantage of putting money into your RSP when your income is high and taking it out when you're retired is that you'll be in a much lower tax bracket once you retire and thus you'll be paying much less taxes. And at the same time, by contributing to your RSP, you'll be saving or investing some money every year. But be careful, just like a TFSA, if you invest your money in your RSP and you lose part of it so you have a capital loss, you will not receive a deduction on your future capital gains as you would if you were investing your money in a non-registered account. So basically, your capital gains are not taxed, but your capital losses are non-refundable either. And the contribution limit to your RSP per year is 18% of your previous year's income and up to a maximum of $27,230. The contribution space is cumulative but if you ever decide to take money out, you lose that space. And you can of course choose to take out money from your RSP at any point in time, but just remember that as soon as you do, you will be taxed. Alright, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for watching or listening. Please check out my podcast, Spare Change Education, where I bring more content just like this. 
and I'll link in the description some of the resources mentioned this episode including a credit and deduction checklist as well as a copy of the T1 general tax form. Okay, so please share if you found this useful and drop a comment if you have any questions. Take care and stay safe.